1: Final hour of the broadcast week here on the Guy Benson Show. It is Friday. Thank you for being here. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. The podcast, free of charge every single day on demand. GuyBensonShow.com. And this hour, we call it the happy hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is refreshing and delicious. I recommend it. If you're 21 years of age or older, of course. Always drink responsibly. TheLongDrink.com. You can find out where it's sold near you. They are expanding. Due to popularity, you can also order online, thelongdrink.com. Well, tomorrow, as we have mentioned several times over the course of the show today, is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And that's sort of hard to fathom for me. I was a 16-year-old high schooler. I remember walking into the building in northern New Jersey that day, that morning, thinking that the weather was perfect. It was clear. It was crisp little chill. It's my favorite kind of weather. And by the end of that day, my town alone had lost 12 people in lower Manhattan. And the nation will pause and will mourn tomorrow the passage of 20 years since that unthinkably horrible day. And the phrase or the aphorism or the slogan, never forget, gets thrown around a lot. I think for something like 9-11, it is apropos. We shouldn't forget. We can't forget. And in order to achieve that goal, in order to live the mantra, never forget, we must listen to stories. Stories like the ones we're going to hear now from our next guests. Lisa Friedman and her son, Mike Friedman. Lisa lost her husband on 9-11. He was on the 92nd floor of the North Tower in the World Trade Center. Her son, Mike, who's got a twin brother, Dan, he lost his father. You may have seen them on Fox & Friends. They tried to turn an unbelievable tragedy in their lives into something good, and we will get to that. But before we move on to that component, let me first welcome Lisa and Mike, To the show. Thank you so much for doing this, guys. Our pleasure. Our
0: pleasure. Thank you for
1: having us. Lisa, please, just if you would, talk to us about that day, because there are certain memories that I think are seared into my mind, certainly, uh, from 9 11 2001. There are a lot of people in our listening audience, especially on the podcast, who are younger, who have hazy memories or no memories of 9 11. What was that day like for you?
0: Uh, Well, as everybody that does remember knows, it was just the most beautiful, crisp, clear fall day. It was gorgeous out, or late summer day. And um, I was at work. I, um, at the time, was a regional manager for a large bank. And so I had branches all over Long Island. And I had gone to one of the branches to meet with a branch manager. And I was on a conference call first with my boss, who was in Manhattan and he had all the regional managers reported into him. So somewhere around 10 to nine, my friend and one of my um, colleagues said, Lisa, um, doesn't Andy work in the World Trade Center? And I said, sure. And she's like, well, you may want to get off the phone and look at the TV set. There's been a terrible accident. So, you know, I couldn't really fathom what it was. I figured, you know, it might have been like a prop jet that popped off or something. Not that that wouldn't have been horrific, because it would have been. But, you know, I I guess I didn't take it that seriously. My husband had only been there for two weeks. He had just gotten a brand new job. And I remember when he got the job and he told me it was on the 92nd floor of the World Trade Center. I, I took pause on that one. I was like, are you sure you want to do this? And he said, who thinks like you, you know? I think like me anyway. So, um, I bring the TV in. I put it on and I couldn't catch my breath. Um, and at that point, by the time I rolled the TV in, the second tower had gotten hit. And I was looking at the photo at the, at the two burning buildings and saying, Oh my God, I don't know which one he's in, but based on my knowledge of the world trade center, if he was in the North tower, the first one that got hit, it would have hit right where he was. And if he was in the South tower, um, He'd be above it, but how would he get down? So right, anyway, stuck. I'm freaking, you know, interrupt me if you want me to stop. But anyway, the, the net net is he called me and I, I didn't say anything because I heard him. He was in, in a room. He said, I'm, we're in a room. We have plenty of air. And I heard people crying in the background. I heard people had broken out the windows. Um, And, and I just said, I love you because he, it, he called me at nine sixteen, and in my heart, I knew if he could have gotten down, he would have gotten down. So the big, the other problem was is the way that the um, the TV uh, uh, broadcasters were talking about it. They kept calling it the first tower, the second tower, the north tower, the south tower. But Andy had only been there two weeks. I only knew he worked at One World Trade Center. Like I didn't know north south. I didn't know which was which. You know what I mean? So again, it turns out he was on the ninety second floor below. One floor below the, the the impact of the north tower, the the plane hit between ninety three and ninety and ninety eight. So w- even though he was below it, um, they couldn't get down because the the um, stairwell um, collapsed above ninety one. So everyone on ninety one lived, and everyone on ninety two died. He was, you know, unfortunately one floor too high.
1: And he so. was forty four years old. Did you know? Yeah. And it's you kind of indicated there. Did you know? in your heart on that phone call that this was the last time you'd speak to him. Yes.
0: Which mm. is which is why I didn't say anything. I was in shock. I said, I love you. That was it. I didn't want to frighten him. I didn't want to start to cry. I don't I didn't know how if he knew how bad it was, you know what I mean? I didn't know. So I didn't want to I didn't want to frighten him. So I didn't say anything. It which is you know, you're on a call and, and you think it's your last call with somebody I mean, I had so many things I wanted to tell him, but I didn't. I didn't say anything. I just, I just, I just, um, I was scared. I didn't want to frighten him, and I don't think he wanted to frighten me. So.
1: Anyway, it's it's just so hard. It's so hard to listen to because my father had passed through the World Trade Center earlier that morning. That was part of his commute. Oh and God. We had some trouble getting in touch with him for a while. And, you know, the worst case scenario starts to play out in your head, even if you think the chances are slim right. and and you start to kind of panic a little bit. And thank God, in my case, he was safe. He was able to, to run up, you know, uptown and get out of that area. But for many other yeah. families, thousands of other families, that yeah. nightmare came true. How did you convey this? to your children when and how did you decide yeah. they need to know yeah
0: well what happened was that day somebody picked them up from school early first of all i called the school and i said i spoke to andy he's fine because i needed time to figure out what in the world i was going to do exactly your question so my friend picked them up they went and had a play date they went swimming they had dinner so they were they were out of out of my 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 reach probably for eight or nine hours, which gave me time to process how I was going to handle it. And frankly, at the beginning when they came, they thought everything was fine until they came home that night and they saw all the cars in the, in the driveway and whatnot that night. I just, I didn't say anything. I just said, you know, there was an accident. They're looking for everybody. Um, and that was how I thought it was the right way to to handle it. But what I didn't realize, when you're dealing with young children, they were only 11. They start perseverating on on that. Let's call the red question again. Let's call the red question again. Let's call the red course again. So it was like it was like a broken record for that whole week. And as a matter of fact, on Friday, I had spoken to a psychologist, and she suggested that we kind of turn our concern outward instead of sitting and keeping it internal. And the way I kind of um, um, conceptualized that was I took the boys into the city and we made a flyer, you know, have you seen this man? And we went from firehouse to firehouse to hot. We went up to Lenox Hill. We were at Mount Sinai. We went to, you know, we went to the Upper East Side because they didn't know downtown from Uptown. They were 11. And we we gave out socks. And the reason we gave out socks is because the first responders were saying they needed them. And so we... um, we We gave out the socks so that um you know, I wanted them to feel like they weren't just sitting around doing nothing. I wanted them right. to feel like they, they were, were achieving part of what something. Was going on. they were helping right they were they were helping, so anyway, the next day, coincidentally, was um Rosh Hashanah. it was the Jewish holiday, and so we went to temple, and it was just the three of us, and it was horrific and when I got home for whatever reason I was inspired i sat I sat down, we sat in the den. And I brought them close, and I just said, you know, um, Dad's not coming home. And the psychologist told me the kids have a very hard time living in a gray zone. It's got to be black and white. So she said, tell them he's not coming home and that he was killed. And if, you know, by some miracle he's he's okay, you'll you'll celebrate. So that's what I did. And, and it, I kind of think it was a relief for them because it was just too hard to – ruminate over and over right, the, and over again. The uncertainty.
1: Again about, you just torture yeah. yourself, I would imagine. It, tor- Mike, it was torture. That's the only way to describe it was torture. Oh, well, that's just a gut punch. Mike, I want to bring you into this, and we will do so as soon as we come back. Quick break. It's The Guy Benson Show, almost 20 years after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Lisa and Mike Freeman, my guests, will be right back.
2: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
1: We are back, not a very happy subject on this happy hour. It's the Guy Benson Show. My guests are Lisa and Mike Friedman. Lisa lost her husband, Mike, his father, on 9-11-2001. Mike, I want to bring you in because I'm a few years older than you are. I was 16 at the time. You were 11. You're now in your early 30s. I think being in high school, it it was still very, very difficult to process. Talk about that. Day and that series of days from an eleven-year-old's perspective. You were what in, in middle school, and trying to make sense of this completely senseless day. I would imagine.
3: Yes. Yeah, so uh, the day started off like normal. Uh, it was my second week of middle school, or our second week of middle school. Um, I remember the night before we were watching TV. We were watching the New York the Giants versus the Broncos on Monday Night Football. Our dad was a huge sports fan, and we can hear him yelling at the TV, screaming, saying why the Giants are not playing well, and they end up getting beat pretty badly. (laughs) Sounds Um, familiar. (laughs) So, unfortunately, so the next morning when we woke up, we would get a piece of paper with the score, because our dad used to write down the score of each game that we couldn't watch um, when we were kids. So that day, we went to school. Um, It was pretty normal. And I want to say it was my third period English class that um, there was a knock on the door and was our principal and wanted to speak to me. So I went outside and the principal basically told me that two planes had just hit in the World Trade Center, that your dad is fine. He's got plenty of air. He spoke to your mom and he should just go about your day normally. And outside, I was feeling OK. I was feeling, you know, as if, OK, he's just he was in an accident, but he'll still come home. Inside, though, I knew something wasn't right. I knew, I just, I've had this numb feeling that, yeah, something was wrong. And it remained that way for the rest of the day. Um, my brother and I got, got to get out, get out of school early. We went to a friend's house. We had a play date. Uh, we went swimming. We had dinner. And it was just a pretty relaxing uh, afternoon, even though it was anything but relaxing on the outside. And then I re- the, the last thing I remember was my brother and I going home that night and seeing a ton of cars in our driveway and going inside, giving our mom a big hug. She just told us she loved us, uh, but she wanted us to do our homework, which we did. Uh, we did our homework and went to sleep, and we just thought, okay, dad's probably cleaning himself up, but I'll come home. The following day, when he didn't come home and we didn't go to school, is when it really hit. me, And I said, okay, something, something, something happened. And then as the days followed, he still didn't come home. And that's when our mom took us into New York City. We went to the different hospitals, fire departments, police stations, and we just had a sliver of hope that maybe we could find him. But in the back of my mind, I thought he was not going to come home. And it was painful. It was brutal. And then the reality of the situation was so strong when we had to speak at his memorial service and deliver his eulogy to over 2000 people in, in a pretty small town of uh, Woodbury, New York, which was one of the hardest things I've ever had to have done. One of the hardest things Dan had to have done. And all that brings me, it was times of sadness Um sorrow and just a situation that I wish no family would ever have to have gone through. And unfortunately we were one of 3000 families that went through it. It was tough. It was really tough.
1: I cannot imagine having to do that ever, let alone at the age of 11. I have one more question before we get to what you have done with this and how you've tried to turn this on some level into a, a positive to continue to help people, and that is the anniversaries. As each year unfolds and they have the solemn ceremonies and they read the names and they, you know, the bells toll and we go through this ritual each year, how has that experience changed over time? Has it changed over time? Lisa.
0: So, truthfully, you know, my husband was um, a very upbeat person, He would, he was, um, let me preface it by saying I had met Andy in 1983 and in 19, I was in college and in 1985, when I had just graduated school and started working, I had ovarian cancer and he stuck by my side through chemotherapy and the whole nine yards. He was the most amazing man with more integrity than anybody I've ever met. So that's just as a backdrop. But aside from that, he was a fun guy, like nothing got Andy down. He wasn't a worrier. He wasn't concerned about anything. He was just upbeat all the time. So when 9-11 happened, you know, me and the kids kind of, we sat down and we kind of, we talked it through and we decided that, you know, what he would want is for us to continue to dance is the only way to describe it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so on 9-11, rather than go down to the world trade center and, um, um, just be brought down and, 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 and feel bad and see other people crying and whatnot, we decided we wanted to do the thing that Andy would enjoy the most so we could celebrate them instead of kind of, you know, um, feeling blue. And um, Andy's favorite thing in the world was going to Peter Luger's and having a great big steak. So, and for those people that don't know, that's a restaurant in New York yeah, and it's famous in Brooklyn. Yeah. Very st- famous steakhouse. So, Every 9-11, we go there with um, some of his best friends from growing up. And Mike is going to tell you how that translates to our new business because there's, there's a connection there as well. But a lot of his friends are still our dearest friends. They're like all, his, all of my children's godfathers, if you know what I mean. So um, we all go to Peter Lucas, and we t- we tell stories about Andy, and
1: we laugh, and we cry, and that's what we do. Wow. Uh, that is so sad and also so beautiful. Thank you. And that's... that's- An incredible answer. I'm just trying to keep it together here myself. In fact, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, I do want to shift to this business that your son started, Mike, and he's with us, and his twin brother, Dan. And it was sort of inspired by the act of donating socks to first responders. That spawned a business that continues to this day. We will get to that right after this. It's the Guy Benson Show.
2: Guy Benson show.com.
1: We continue here on the Guy Benson show, our final hour of the week. Hope you're enjoying your Friday. If you're just tuning in with me are Lisa and Mike Friedman. Lisa lost her husband, Andrew on nine 11 in the twin towers. Mike was 11 years old at the time. Her son, he has a twin brother, Dan, and they both told this story about going into the city in the days immediately following the terrorist attacks and helping with donations of socks to first responders because the first responders, their feet were getting wet and getting cold. And so this is what they sort of latched on to to try to help, which was a lovely sentiment and a a wonderful act. It then has turned into a business. And so, Mike, if you could just explain Tall Order, which is the name of this business. Uh, We sort of know the background now. How has that developed over time?
3: Yes, so uh, in 2017, uh, we launched our company, Tall Order. And at Tall Order, we provide fun, fashionable socks, very comfortable, very breathable. They stay up on the calf. There's uh, moisture wicking. There's all-day comfort, seamless toe, no no rips, no tears, and they stay up really nice. Um, and they're not just for tall men. They're for all. So we have three shoe sizes, 9 to 11, 12 to 15, and 16 to 20. But the goal at Toll Order is about giving back and paying it forward even in tough times. We do that by giving a portion of what we do to a, a new, to numerous health and human service organizations. One of them is Tuesday's Children. And Tuesday's Children was formed in the aftermath of September 11th to help the families like myself and my brother uh, with grief counseling and support programs. And a way to bring all the kids together to say, hey, you're not alone. We're here for you. And now they go into other communities that have suffered traumatic loss, including Gold Star families, families of the fallen. Um, and just their way of saying, we're, we're here for you and you won't ever feel alone. Another organization that we donate to is the Feel Good Foundation. So um, on our website, tallorder.com, we have what's known as the Feel Good Sock where we donate um, all proceeds from that sock to the Feel Good Foundation to help the first responders and rescue workers of September 11th. It's basically our way of saying, hey, when you wear a pair of Tall Order socks, you look good, you feel good, and you do good.
1: TallOrder.com is the website for this business, and of course it's an outgrowth of this act of service that this family performed, dealing with just unfathomable heartbreak having lost a husband and a father at the hands of terrorists on September 11, 2001. Only about 30 seconds left. Lisa, I want to close with you. To the American people listening, our audience right now, as they think about 20 years of time passing and this anniversary tomorrow, what do you want to say to the country? What's on your heart?
0: Well, there's two things that are on my heart. Number one, I want to say thank you because I wouldn't be where I am today had it not been for the for the for the kindness of so many people out there and that's why we call the company Tall Order. It's not because we're tall, although we are, it's because it's a tall order to pay it forward. So the first thing is thank you and, and when we're united, there's nothing we can't do. And then the other thing I wanna say is um I'm I, I'm I'm worried for us because I feel like we 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 did a lot in this country to try to Save off future terrorist attacks and we're kind of back in the same boat we were 20 years ago. So, um, uh, I just, um, but on my heart, I say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all the first responders. Thank you to our military and these brave souls that went over to Afghanistan and Iraq to fight. And, um, I just pray for us that, we, that we'll stay safe and something like this never happens again.
1: Lisa and Mike Friedman, my guests here on the Guy Benson show, I can't thank you enough. Um, Our thoughts are with you ahead of tomorrow's anniversary, 20 years since 9-11. Have a wonderful, as best you can, have a wonderful dinner at Peter Luger's. Have a great steak. Tell those stories. Keep the memory alive. And as I said at the top, never forget means something to me. So thank you for sharing your story. Have a good day. You too. We'll be right back with The Home Stretch, where we will lighten things up just a little bit. I think we need to. The Guy Benson Show.
2: That was this week's edition of The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. For more Guy Benson Show, go to guybensonshow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to be part of the conversation with
3: me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at
0: briankilmeadeshow.com.
2: Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.